love Lucy. And I'm Diana, and I, you know, like Lucy. And this is My Favorite Redhead, the podcast where I show Diana every I Love Lucy episode in order, and then we discuss them together until she and all of you love Lucy too. This week's episode is number 18, Inferiority Complex. Not about covers it. Yeah. <laughs> See you guys next week. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna say my opinions this early. <laughs> so it begins with Ricky going through presents that he's gonna take Lucy to the hospital when Fred comes in. And this is another one of those episodes that's a flashback. Mm-hmm. So Fred is like, oh, what are all these presents for? And Ricky, and then Ethel comes in and Ricky says, um... Lucy's feeling self-conscious because the other ladies in the maternity ward are having multiple births and she's, her hair joke was that she feels like she's shortchanged him. And, um, so he's taking her some presents so that she doesn't have an inferiority complex like she did last time. Although I have to say, I think when you live in a one bedroom, it's probably fine to just have a single birth. Yeah. I also kind of feel like we shouldn't be throwing around terms like inferiority complex. Yeah. Given the context of what actually happened. Oh, yeah. So, I also don't think, like, <laughs> one incident can give someone an inferiority complex. Mm-hmm. But that's that's my layman's understanding sure of we're psychology. Gonna, we're going to get into this a lot. I'm sure. <laughs> There's going to be a lot to delve into on this one, guys. So, oh boy. So, the flashback is a reference to uh, when they were telling each other stories and Ricky's like, just out of the blue, she just developed this whole, you know, complex. There was no warning whatsoever. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. She just started feeling bad for no reason. So they flash back to when they're, they're all sitting around telling stories and Ricky's got this story about a dog watching a movie and Fred has a story that Ethel won't let him tell because it's dirty. And then... Lucy's like, well, I have a story, and it's you know, it's a it, it's a dad joke, honestly. She starts telling this joke, and of course, she can barely get it set up without the other two just or the other three just like jumping in and like reading her for filth on like every little detail. And like Fred is grumpy, and Ricky's condescending. Actually, in fairness, Ethel's pretty supportive at mm. this point. So yeah. I was just like heart eyes for Ethel because she was the only one being a good friend. The other two are being buttheads. Anyway, so Lucy gets to the end of her joke and she flubs the delivery because that's what happens when everybody's climbing down your throat when you try to tell a goddamn story. She was flustered. Yeah. So then Ricky finishes it and she's like, oh, well, you know, I didn't tell it right. And he's like, you've never told a story right in your entire life. And she's like, well, that's fucking rude. And he was like, Jesus, you don't need to get so bent out of shape about it. And that was the first time I had to pause and just have, like, an existential moment. (laughs) She looked at me... Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, brace yourself, friend. Yeah. (laughs) So, beginning as we mean to go on. So, she's like, well, that sucks. So, she wants to go to her room because everybody's being rude. And then they're like, actually, let's play bridge. You love bridge. So, she's like, oh, okay, that sounds good. So, they set up the bridge table and she and Ethel sit down. And then the boys start bickering over who gets to be Ethel's partner. And she was like, you know what? I'm just gonna... I'm just going to bounce because you guys are being jerks. Yeah. So the next scene is she's making breakfast and Ricky comes in and she says that she feels dumb and incompetent. 
And he's like, oh, no, you're, like, the best little wife, which is, like, gee, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, like, the orange juice has seeds in it, and the eggs are over-salted, and she burnt the toast, and she's like, jeez, I can't even do this right. And he... You guys, I'm still babysitting the dogs. I shouldn't say babysitting. I'm not even co-parent. I'm still, like, a primary caregiver for the dogs right now, so there's just gonna be dog noises, and we're just gonna be fine with it. You know, but YouTubers get, like, extra views when there are dogs involved. Listen, yes. this is my dog brother, Samwise. He's very cute and small. He's a cavachon, so he looks like a sentient cotton ball with <laughs> long ears. And the other one is Sadie. <laughs> she looks like a teddy bear. Yeah, she's very cute. So if you hear boofing in the background, that's her, because she's annoyed about whatever it is that she wants. <laughs> Sam, settle. Thank you. Anyway, back to the episode. So, she's upset because she can't even get all of this right. And Ricky's like, no, you're not incompetent. You have many great qualities. And then he fails to list even one, which isn't great. So the next scene, she's in bed and Ethel comes over. And Ethel's like, but it's the middle of the day. What the hell's wrong with you? And Lucy's like, I feel like a failure because, like, I can't do anything, really. And Ethel's like, no, you have many great qualities. And then she stalls like Ricky did. And then she's like, wait, no, no one dyes their hair like you do. And I was like, bitch, get out of here. Yeah. But then she does the real best friend thing and tries to tough love Lucy out of the bed, which doesn't work, of course, because depression sucks. Mm -hmm. And then Ricky comes home and he's like, I thought we agreed on the phone you were going to get out of bed. And I was like, I thought she kicked your ass out. Got out. Just kick them all to the curb. Just done with it. So she basically said, hey, I thought I told you to fuck off. She didn't say that because it was the 50s, but she should have. Also, she was too sad to be angry. Yeah. she. I mean, if it was me, I'd have been like, meh. So Ricky and Ethel go into the other room and Ricky's like, I'm really worried about her. I really think there's like something wrong with her. So he flips the phone book to find her a psychiatrist, which they've done that before. She's had to have a psychiatrist before. And I, one of the things I do appreciate about this show is that when she's having a mental health event, they do tend to be sympathetic. They mm -hmm. don't play her off like she's crazy and annoying and needs to be locked up. They they treat it as though she's not well and she needs to be helped. Mm -hmm. So that is objectively one thing that I think they do well on this show, especially given the time and given yeah. other factors. Espe also, since it's a comedy, I do like that they do deal with mental health in a sympathetic way. Okay, so when we go and meet the psychiatrist, it's actually a different psychiatrist than the one we saw before. What was the other one? What episode was that? Um, Lucy Fakes Illness. That's right. That's what I thought. He basically tells Ricky she's depressed because you guys were assholes who made her feel like shit, which I also appreciate yeah. that. I also appreciate him not being like, well, you know, she's a woman. And so we got to recalibrate her. Mm -hmm. He was like, hey, maybe don't be he, a dick. He wasn't as critical as I would have liked him to be no. because he was like, well, it's unfortunate that all those things happened back to back, which is like, those things didn't just happen, no. though. Because, like, Ricky and Ethel and Fred all kind of chose to not be particularly nice. Right, right. So I do like that he wasn't just like, she's a, yeah. she's a woman though. You know how they are. It's that hysterical uterus. Yeah. He was like, her body. maybe her friends and her husbands were mean to her husbands. Maybe her <laughs> friends and her husband were mean to her. 
And, you know, you got to make up for that. So basically he's like, well, you need to get her some presents and make her feel special. And Ricky was like, I did that, but she just assumed that I was cheating on her, which was like, and then again, like in Lucy thinks Ricky's trying to murder her. She basically forgave him for all of his crimes imagined as it happened, Mm -hmm. but still it's quite sad. Anyway, Ricky and the psychiatrist come up with this ruse to get Lucy some attention from an outside source from a stranger, essentially. So someone is going to come over that night and base, you know, under the guise of being an old friend of Ricky's and he's going to pay Lucy a lot of attention. So eight o'clock rolls around. And of course it's the psychiatrist who comes in and he's just laying it on thick. And he's just telling her how beautiful she is and how, you know, he and Ricky have been friends for a long time, but he didn't think he could, you know, attract a woman as beautiful and sophisticated and whatever as Lucy is. And she's just, at first she's not really going for it because, you know, she thinks she's stupid and incompetent and ugly and all of that, but he just, he's not letting up. Mm -hmm. So he decides he wants to dance with her. So he puts on some, he has Ricky put on some music and they're dancing and Ricky starts to get jealous and he's trying to like continue the ruse that they're friends. So it's like, maybe you should be talking to me and not just my wife. But the guy's like, it's part of the treatment. (laughs) So eventually Ricky's like, I don't like this treatment. So he kicks the guy out. He ends up telling Lucy that the guy is actually not an old school friend. He's a psychiatrist. And she just like retreats back into her Mm -hmm. shell. Which, who saw that coming? Right? (laughs) So the next scene is the Mertzes. Ricky calls the Mertzes over because he's like, I really, I really fucked this one up, you guys. And she's worse than ever. So I thought if you guys come over, then we can, like, shower her with affection and attention and, like, really try to make up for it the other night. So they pull Lucy out and they have her tell some stories, which, of course, none of them land. But everybody laughs anyway. And then they suggest, let's play bridge. And everybody fights over being her partner. And she's like, oh, you can take turns. And you can see she's starting to feel better. And her little face just lights up. And then at the end, she's like, do you think you guys would actually want to hear me sing? And everybody just like freezes. And she's like, really? And they're like, no, no, of course, go ahead and sing. And of course, she does a terrible job because she can't sing for shit. Because that's actually the one thing she's bad at. Yeah. So, but she's just... Yeah. (laughs) So she's, it ends on a happy note, but boy, it's a rough ride getting there. Yeah. Yeah. So, a lot going on. Oh boy, it's a lot. This one aired February 2nd, 1953 and was filmed September 6th, 1952. It was written by Jess Oppenheimer, Madeline Pugh, and Bob Carroll Jr. and was directed by William Asher. So it was based on the radio episode Liz's Inferiority Complex or Liz Develops an Inferiority Complex. Kind of depends on which source you consult with that episode is titled. And it's basically the same plot. The psychiatrist doesn't come to their house and try and like, you know, schmooze her there. George takes Liz to the psychiatrist and Mm. it still kind of backfires in his office. So then they do the thing where they're like, well, let's, you know, try and make her feel good about herself with the difference in that one, which I feel like that one was even sadder because apparently Liz overheard a conversation between George and the psychiatrist where he was telling them, like, yeah, you have to pretend to laugh at her jokes and want to play bridge with her and, you know, everything that she says, act like you think it's super charming and interesting Mm. and funny and just, you know, go along with her. 
So she overhears this conversation. So she knows that they're faking it when they're showing all this interest in her. And so she keeps going on and on and on. And then she finally is like, um, I think, you know, you've probably carried this out as far as you can. Mm. So she basically starts feeling better because she's like, well, you know, if you guys are going to go to all this trouble to be nice to me, I guess, you know, I must have something going for myself. God, that's grim. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I think it's probably a little more realistic for Lucy to feel better in this situation where she thinks that at least some of this is genuine. Yeah. At least they're making an effort, but they don't have to go out and say, well, I guess you're making an effort to pretend you don't hate me. Yeah. I mean, either way, it's kind of bleak. Yeah. So at the beginning of the wraparound scene, Ricky mentions another mother who gave birth to triplets around the time that Lucy had little Ricky, which is kind of a callback to Mr. Stanley with his nine daughters mm-hmm. that Ricky talked to in the waiting room during um, Lucy goes to the hospital. I don't know if they're specifically referencing her, but, you know, they do come to mind. Or Maybe it's him. the woman who's selling the recording. Yeah. <laughs> she had three babies this year, so she's going to need to sell a lot of tape recorders. Yep. <laughs> So, Dr. Mullen was named after Bud Mullen, one of the show's editors, Hmm. and he was played by Gerald Moore. He was born in 1914 and was studying medicine at Columbia University when he had to be hospitalized with appendicitis, and while he was in the hospital, a fellow patient who just happened to work in radio told him that his voice was perfect for broadcasting, Hmm. and soon after, he got over his bout of appendicitis he got a job at that guy's radio station that's cool (laughs) so that's how he got into radio i love that every time we research someone for this show their the backstory is always something like well they were going to this prestigious university and then (laughs) must have been so easy to get a job in hollywood yeah (laughs) you could just show up and be like i hear i'm interesting yeah please hire me (laughs) not everyone can do a funny voice yeah (laughs) So he went on to appear in over 500 radio plays and 100 movies. And he also did numerous TV appearances, including a recurring role of Doc Holliday Mm. on the shows Maverick and Tombstone Territory. And he also voiced Mr. Fantastic in the 1967 Fantastic Four cartoon Hmm. and Green Lantern in the 1968 Aquaman show. So that's pretty cool. And there was one little goof in the episode. Over the credits, the announcer called the character Dr. Stewart instead Mm. of Dr. Mullen. That's funny. Yeah. Which is one of those things where you have to wonder, did Lucy change the name of the character again? Because she was very prone to doing that. But it's also funny because, you know, he said that his fake name was going to be... Right, Chuck Stewart. Yeah. But yeah, that was about... If for the production notes, we already kind of started discussing it a little bit because it's hard to it's hard not <laughs> hold to. the thoughts in. But what'd you think? <laughs> well, didn't care for it. Yeah. This one, I already mentioned that it's a bit like Lucy thinks Ricky's trying to murder her in that there honestly aren't that many laughs in mm-hmm. it. It's really not very funny to me. It's mostly just sad. Yeah. And, you know, Ethel's her best friend and they give each other shit. And obviously she adores Ricky, but they give each other shit. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't usually get a lot of shit from Fred. And so yeah. there were a lot of scenes where I was like, to Fred? Yeah. Like, what and the fuck? And it's also, there's a difference between, like, you know, playful teasing that yeah. people do with their friends and loved ones and, like, 
this person is obviously really upset because the teasing stopped being funny for them a long time ago, but everybody else is still going. Yeah, and it wasn't and she's even crying like, in the corner. And it wasn't even like gentle ribbing or like good natured like sarcasm or whatever. It wasn't like a read. They were like actually being mean. Yeah. So and like yeah, like Brianna said, they just took it too far and they just kept taking it. So it was and this just Especially when, like, I think at one point, everybody was like, why are you getting your feelings hurt? Mm -hmm. It wasn't like... She was literally, when she was going to go into her room, she was literally crying already. Yeah. Like, not her big dramatic Lucy wailing, crying, but like... Actually crying. Yeah, like, she was sad because they had hurt her feelings. And that was like a couple of times. Yeah, and then they already got her back once after they made fun of her because she can't tell jokes. And then for some reason, they still... The guys, especially in this case, still thought it was okay to be like, well, I don't want to fucking play bridge with you because Jesus. Right. You suck. And it's like, come on, dude. Yeah. It's been two seconds since the last time you guys all piled on her. I've been thinking a lot lately just in my life of like ways to compliment people that are like non-traditional, you know, like Mm -hmm. not the standard thing. So like when Lucy was crying in the living, in the kitchen about ruining breakfast, not being good at anything and being dumb and incompetent, like Ricky could have said so many things. Like, I love that you're, you know, so friendly and upbeat all the time. I love Mm -hmm. that you're resourceful. I love that you're, you know, that you always look put together, which Mm -hmm. mattered in the fifties or that you're a good hostess or like a million things, right? You're a good wife. You're supportive of me. You're super creative. Yeah. We have a lot of fun together. It's like he kept saying you're a good wife, but then because she oversalted breakfast, he couldn't think of, you know, a way that she is a good wife. Like, you and can't then, name one single trait about this woman that she you think ruined is breakfast, great. so her domesticity is also yeah. in question. And like her ruining breakfast, like stuff like that happens when you're flustered. I've made mistakes in the kitchen before when I was already in a bad mood that I wouldn't normally make when right? I was, you know, feeling better. Yeah, I think probably everyone has. And then Ethel pissed me off because when Ethel also couldn't think of anything, it's like, bitch, you've been in on her schemes in every goddamn episode. Mm-hmm. We're like, what, 53 episodes in now? Mm-hmm. And you've been like ride or die for her this whole time. But now you can't think of a single thing she's good at? Like, I know it was a it was a callback to the earlier joke. I get right. from a writing perspective, I get the structure and why it's supposed to be funny. But this episode has so few laughs no (laughs) and i i wonder how much of it is just like a different sense of humor now than then because like the audience was howling yeah and it's just it's not fun from a modern perspective to watch someone feel like shit because their friends have torn them down and then when they're affected by it, everyone's kind of like, well, why do you feel bad? Nothing yeah. even really happened. It's like, well, maybe to you that wasn't anything. Yeah. But it felt like shit to me. It just, you just feel left out. If everybody is good at something, right? Everybody's telling stories and everybody's laughing at each other's stories and you're the one that can't tell a story. Mm-hmm. 
and they're like picking at you about it, then it's like, you do feel left out. I think it might be a generational thing though, because my mom tells these stories about my grandmother and her sister and how vicious they used to be to Mm -hmm. each other. But they were still best friends and they were just completely loyal to each other, even though they like low-key hated each other. And this is their generation. So, I mean, maybe they did just have a more aggressive sense of humor back then. But like, I noticed this episode has like almost no slapstick in it at Mm -hmm. all either. Like there's no physical comedy. And it also kind of does call a little bit into question if it's really in line with the humor of the show. Yeah. Because like we, again, you know, we've seen them like pick at and rib at each other in a playful way Mm -hmm. before because that is very much something people do when they're close to each other. But it's never been to the point that someone is walking away crying because everyone is ganged up on them. Yeah. It's just a very serious episode. Again, like the whole idea of she's sick and she needs a doctor, that would also have been an opportunity for a cheap joke. Mm -hmm. You know, just to add more comedy. I mean, it would have been a tasteless joke and I'm glad they didn't, but it would have been a way to add more humor to the episode if they had played her off like she was crazy and hysterical. Mm Mm-hmm. But they there was just there just wasn't much humor in this one. Yeah, it was just really sad. <laughs> yeah, you can't help but feel bad for her because like she's sitting there genuinely feeling like shit about herself, absolutely depressed, not able to get like these are classic depression symptoms. Mm-hmm. She can't get out of bed. She has no self worth. She can't do anything. Yeah. right. she keeps self sabotaging. Yeah, she has like no energy, no motivation. She feels isolated because she feels like she's got to pull herself back from the people that mm-hmm. she loves because she's not adding she actively pushes anything. people away and yeah, rejects she's not adding anything to positivity. their lives she feels like yeah and you know it's it's not fun and i think most of us nowadays probably have some experience in this area which you know again people would have had experience with that back then they just mm-hmm. didn't call it by the name that we call it now it was yeah. just like melancholy know, you got a little bit blue and yeah. then everybody yelled at you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you did or you pretended to. I think it would have been funnier if she had pushed back. Mm-hmm. Like if they started picking at her and she was like, oh, well, your joke was too, you know, blue yeah. to tell in front of this. And, you know, Ricky's stupid joke was about a dog and like Ethel didn't even tell a story. Like if she pushed back for a bit and then eventually like they got her mm-hmm. at a point. Because then it would have been a progression. Then you would have been able to identify the one thing. And then if she, like, kept calling back the one thing they said as, like, just, like, a little, like, petty jab, then there could have been some humor there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think they could have gone from it in that direction. At least given her some agency. Instead of just, like, oh, well, we bullied her into depression and then now it's our job to pull it. Like, that's that's just not comedy to me. That's that's drama. Yeah. (laughs) So... I, I didn't care for this episode. In summation, I yeah. didn't care for this episode. It's not one of my favorites either, unfortunately. It's just, it's sad. Like, she's our hero. Mm-hmm. And you want to see your heroine, I should say, succeed or at least, you know, comedically fail or have fun, something. You want to see her on this grand adventure, not yeah. see her getting beat down by the people who normally would be supporting her. Like, you know, they always have those moments where it's like, yeah, Lucy's fucking nuts. Mm -hmm. But then, like, you know, Ricky would stand up for her if some... Like, look at Pioneer Woman. Mm -hmm. 
you know, they needed to all kind of band together to try and impress these snooty society women. And, you know, Ricky was willing to do that, even though they were in the middle of their bet. Or even last week when we had sales resistance, when Ricky and Fred admit at the end that they also were susceptible. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's a lot of times when you just, I mean, that's the core of the show is you feel the friendship between these people and you never are supposed to doubt how much they love and care for each other and value each other. And when you like can't even find a single good quality about this woman, like that doesn't feel like you value her all that much. And it's kind of a bummer. It's this one, one, I don't even want to say criticism, but one of the... The things I notice, I guess, about this show is that there are a lot of situations that Lucy gets into that are implausible, shall Mm -hmm. we say. And I have to suspend the disbelief and be like, it's a comedy, just go with it. So it's nice sometimes to see an episode where you're like, I can actually see myself being in that situation and boy, I hope that it wouldn't go that badly for me if I did. But this is one of those that's like, it's a little too true to life. I have to be honest, I have been in that situation. Yeah. And it's all fun. You, d- you don't watch a comedy <laughs> to be like, boy, this is really accurate. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a good time. So I think a little bit of realism in my comedy kind of, it's like, it's like the salt and caramel, mm-hmm. right? But a little too much realism is like, that's just unpleasant. Yeah. It's like Ricky's eggs. Yeah. <laughs> Double salted. <laughs> a little too salty. Yeah. So, um... This one was a little bit of a tougher journey than some others. And, you know, certainly at the beginning of the episode, I think we forgot to mention this, or I forgot to say it at least, when, you know, Ricky's like, well, Lucy's a little depressed. And why Mm -hmm. did she just squeeze this kid out last week? It's like, oh, why was she depressed? I I know that you guys weren't talking about postpartum depression in Mm -hmm. 1953, but postpartum depression is a thing. She was depressed because she didn't have a thousand kids. Yeah. But, you know, give her time. Yeah. Yeah. But. She didn't hit a grand slam on the first try. <laughs> Her first time at bat. <laughs> All of that um, fun talk aside, <laughs> how about we uh, just jump right to pop culture? Okay, good. Let's lighten the mood. <laughs> so when Lucy says, I'm sorry, I'm not Milton Burl, that's a reference to Mr. Television himself, Milton Burl. <laughs> <laughs> really obscure one there. Yeah. He was born in 1908. And he got into show business at age five when he oh. won a Charlie Chaplin contest. Not bad. Was and he I'm... a lawyer before that? Yeah, <laughs> you'd think. I'm not sure if that's like a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest or a contest to act like Charlie Chaplin or... Was it hosted by Charlie Chaplin? That's my personal favorite <laughs> option, hosted by Charlie Chaplin. I'm not sure, but one of those situations. But he did become a child actor in silent films, and he also did some modeling work. He also, um, that modeling work included being Buster Brown in ads for the Brown Shoe Company. Oh, We talked about Buster Brown recently, which, uh, is that Lucy hires an English tutor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he claimed to have appeared in Perils of Pauline, The Mark of Zorro, Ooh. Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, nice. and Tilly's Punctured Romance, but... Notice I said claimed, <laughs> because film historians dispute several many of those claims, and others they're not able to substantiate, so some of that may be a little bit of embellishment on Uncle Milty's part. I'm not accusing the gentleman of anything, <laughs> but there are several Jacuz. film historians who have. So, Perils of Pauline, that's the one where the woman gets tied to the, ty- the train tracks, right? No. 
We actually we talked about it. that. Yeah. And she doesn't get tied to the train tracks, but it has the reputation ah, of being... Got me. Yeah. <laughs> I forget which episode that was in. Um, I did a Mandela. Was it Lucy Wright's a play? Or was it, it the yeah, variety show? I think it was Lucy Wright's a play. I think it was Wright's yeah. Because um, her play was named The Perils of Pamela, and it was a reference That's to The Perils of Pamela. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that... Film serial never had Pauline being tied to the tracks, but there were several different film serials after the Perils of Pauline that were created because of the popularity that the heroine <laughs> got tied to train tracks, mm-hmm. and so then Pauline kind of got the reputation for it, and so much so that in the biopic of the actress who played Pauline, she's depicted being tied uh-huh. to the train tracks. So it's actually really funny. But yeah, so Milton Berle may or may not have been in it. Probably not, but, you know, who's to say? He, he said was. he was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not calling him a liar. But he did start working in vaudeville, and he eventually kind of translated his vaudeville shtick to television, and he became like the burst, the burst, Jesus, <laughs> the first big sensation of TV. He actually appeared on television for the first time in 1929, which is insane yeah. because that's very early into TV's life. It is. And then he started hosting the Texaco Star Theater in 1948 and that was like where he first came to public attention and he ended up becoming such a huge sensation that's how he actually got the nickname Mr. Television. Mm. And famously he did a lot of comedy in drag. Nice. And once he had beef with RuPaul so that's a funny episode in their history, I guess. <laughs> and he allegedly, and this is going to be a little bit distasteful, but I do feel like I must share it with you. He allegedly had the biggest penis in Hollywood. Well, <laughs> you know, you warned me that was coming. I did. I told her I have the word penis in my notes and she was like, tee And I was like, yeah, <laughs> but I did not. I was, I'm 30 mumble years old. I was very mature. She was, like, mockingly tee It wasn't a serious tee yeah. That but... sounds more like me. <laughs> <laughs> so I have this quote from his Wikipedia page because I thought this little story was very funny and I could not paraphrase it to save my life because it's just that it's perfect as is. So in his autobiography, Burl tells of a man who accosted him in a steam bath and challenged him to compare sizes... Oh, dear. Leading a bystander to remark, go ahead, Milton, just take out enough to win. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, my God, no. And Burl attributed this line to comedian Jackie Gleason of Honeymooners fame and said it was maybe the funniest spontaneous line I ever heard. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Like, it's... This LBJ fucking bastard. Yeah. It's such a thing... Like, apparently when he was on Howard Stern, Howard Stern was telling the person screening the calls to only let the ones come through that were about his penis. Oh my god. Which is very in keeping with the type of persona Howard Stern has, but it's just, it's wild. I've never heard so many people so excited about one old man's penis, but like, good for him. And, um, (laughs) he will guest star on a very... Memorable and absolutely clown shoes episode. Oh, yeah, that's he does a comedy hour. I don't think he literally wears clown (laughs) shoes, but he does wear high heels. Oh, God. (laughs) 
Boy, that one's going to come with a content warning. It's not for several years, so we'll worry about <laughs> that bridge when we come to it. So next, we see that copy of Try and Stop Me by Bennett Cerf in the Ricardo apartment again. And we previously discussed that novel and the author in Ricky Has Labor Pains. And I have to tell you guys, after we recorded that episode, I totally went and got the book from my library. And you should support your local library. You should anyway. Yes. And finally, the song Lucy sings at the end of the episode when she's forcing them to listen to her sing is Who by Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein II. Hmm. It was written for the 1925 Broadway musical Sunny, where it was first performed by Bill Frawley's brother Paul Frawley and Marilyn Miller. Oh, Marilyn Miller is who Marilyn Monroe was named after. Which is funny because she was married to Arthur Miller. Yes. <laughs> that was the thing that I was like, I want to tell oh, you a thing. She was I'm like, I'm going to tell it. you a thing, but I'm going to save it because it's about Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. And I was like, ooh. When she was married to Arthur Miller, she was Marilyn Miller. Just like the actress she was named oh after. Gosh. But the casting director, Ben Lyon, suggested the name Marilyn because he said that Monroe reminded him of Miller, and he had apparently worked with her Hmm. in the past. So Marilyn Miller reprised the title role of Sonny in the 1930 movie adaptation of the show, and then in 1946, they made a Jerome Kern biopic called Till the Clouds Roll By, Hmm. and Judy Garland played Marilyn Miller in that movie, and she sang the song Who. Oh. And coincidentally... They remade the movie Sunny in 1941, and it starred Ray Bolger, who played the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. Oh. So all these Wizard of Oz connections, all these Marilyn Monroe connections, all these I Love Lucy connections. You think they were made just... by the BBC? Yeah. <laughs> it was just too delicious for me not to include in this episode. Because, I mean, we did need some levity in this episode. Girl. <laughs> but that's about Dark. it on <laughs> pop culture. Did you have any favorite lines? Uh, not as many as I have in the past. That's fair. So, in the opening scene, uh, when, um, Ricky is showing all of his gifts to Fred, and he says, basically, if you were given all these gifts for having a baby, would you feel like you've been given a lot of attention? And Fred says, if I just had a baby, I'd be getting plenty of attention. (laughs) Which, again, we recognize that not everyone who's capable of... Mm -hmm having a baby or giving birth is a woman, but it did hit me in the funny bone. It is funny because Fred doesn't have the uh, parts that require that. Yeah. So it would still be a big deal if he did. It would. It would be very fanfic of him. (laughs) I have nothing to say about that. (laughs) So when Ethel was failing to come up with ways to compliment Lucy and she landed on her hair, she said, that didn't come out the way I wanted it to. And Lucy said, neither did my hair. (laughs) And then the psychiatrist, uh, when he's laying on all of these compliments about Lucy's physical appearance, he says, I just met you. I shouldn't be saying these things to you. And she says, no, but don't let that stop you. (laughs) Which is just how I've been feeling a lot lately in my life. (laughs) So. I can't blame her. No. So I wrote down when Fred says, either way, it's hardly a belly laugh. Because that's just very droll Mm. it it was an asshole moment but it is it's a good line and when the doctor when they're when he's buttering her up and telling her how gorgeous she is and they're dancing and he was like treatment 
And Lucy's like, what? And he was like, oh, that's just musician talk. I just asked Ricky if he knew what this part of the beat meant. <laughs> and when Ethel said, you're beginning to look like your old self again, and Lucy says, that's an awful thing to say to anyone. <laughs> and then when Lucy's telling her bad jokes at the end, and she's, don't be silly, this is my other end. <laughs> that was about it. But, um, yeah, we have come to the end, and I feel like we've discussed it enough. It, are you happy with that? Oh, yeah, girl. <laughs> so, please join us next week when we'll be discussing, I have to spoil, a much lighter-hearted episode. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> the club election. In which the girls foray into politics. Okay. <laughs> I hesitate to say I'm looking forward to that, but I'm looking forward to getting back to comedy. Yeah. <laughs> it's very that line in Hamilton. Can we get back to politics, please? <laughs> so, I will let it end now. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher to make sure you never miss an episode. And follow us on Instagram at My Favorite Redhead, on Tumblr and Facebook at My Favorite Redhead Podcast. Tweet us at My Fave Redhead or drop us a line at My Favorite Redhead Podcast at gmail.com. And if you love Lucy and you enjoy our show, give us a good rating and review. 